recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 13 through 26. The next morning, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered them, because the people come to me to see God's work. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duty they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men, dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, and fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, Earl. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to see you. As you know, over the last several weeks, we've been doing this series called Legacy, where each week we are looking at a different person from the Bible and evaluating how God has worked in and through their lives. And as you know, none of these people were perfect. A lot of them made mistakes, uh, struggled, and yet God was able to redeem and utilize their gifts and talents and use them in a way that would allow them to leave a lasting legacy for good. And what we're trying to do is learn from their experiences and apply them to our lives uh, in our current day and age. And I'm so excited today because I have an opportunity to introduce you to Andy Needham. Andy, why don't you come up here? Andy is the Interim Executive Minister for Converge, which is our the organization, the denomination that Trinity is under, and we have a wonderful relationship with them, and we're trying to, to grow and foster that. And uh, Andy is incredibly talented. He's a nationally touring worship leader. He's a conference organizer. He, he's a catalyst for, for getting uh, leaders together for the purpose of growing and connecting. And his wife, Bethany, is here with him today, so I'm so glad that you're here, Bethany. They have two kids. Uh, that are both away at camp this week, 
was uh, the best week of their lives, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. Thank you, Trinity. The first word that James said about you as a, a church fellowship is that you're a warm people, and I've already experienced that. I want to say thank you so much for welcoming us so graciously into your community today, and I'm excited to be able to share some things that God's been teaching me through the life of Moses and explore that uh, together. Um, I didn't grow up in an area of anything like this at all, um, and the way that I can best illustrate that is that one of the worship team members was late this morning because of the marathon. And when I was a kid, we were late for church sometimes because the cows were crossing the road. That was more the experience that I had growing up north central Massachusetts uh, in a church that was part of the same movement, Converge. And uh, it was a church, maybe 50, 60 people. And my parents were the kind of volunteers that every single pastor dreams of. They never took a check from the church. But we were not only there when the doors were open, we shoveled the sidewalks and unlocked the doors. And uh, that was sort of our, our upbringing and the oldest of four kids. And in a church like that, the part of the beauty of it for me was that when I made a profession of faith in Christ at a young age, I was eight or nine years old, immediately they gave me a job to do. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember this, some of you who are a little older uh, will remember that um, sort of somewhere in between the hymnal generation of worship and sort of what we have now with sort of projected words on screens, there was these things called overhead projectors. Uh, yes, these were um, torture devices for the church. Um, but I became, as a young man, the, the director of transparencies. That was my job. I was the original pro presenter, uh, and that was, that was my role in that church. But here's the thing that I loved about that, and, and I started to instill this in my own kids as they're in middle school now, is that God, at an early age, instilled to me that church is not just a place to go, but it's a people to belong to and a mission to give your life to. And that has carried with me through a lot of different seasons. As James said, I've been able to do a lot of crazy different things in ministry, from touring and with a guitar on my back and seeing the church in that way to helping foster. I'm really a connector, so these conferences that I run are really about finding great ministry leaders, especially in New England and the Northeast, getting them together and helping train up lay leaders. Uh, and so this last year, we've had about 2,200 people come to one of our conferences, a few different ones, worship leaders, kids ministry, youth ministry. Um, but in all of that, it's always about the church. And um, this Converge, again, I'm part of a Converge church 30 miles west of Boston. And um, you don't need to know too, too much about it, except to say this, that it's a group of like-minded, like-hearted churches that are clinging to the gospel and are trying to start and strengthen churches and send missionaries. And so you're a part of about 90 churches from here to Maine that are a part of Converge Northeast that I get to help foster. And then around the country, about 1,300 churches and some incredible international missions work as well. But that's, that's a little bit of my background. I'm excited to get into this. If you don't mind, I'd like to just open in prayer, and then we'll dig in this morning. Let's pray together. God, we come, as we sang this morning, we come open-handed um, because we know that in worship, it's not what we give, but it's what you've given to us through the cross. And God, we pray that this morning that your word, as we look at one of your servants, Moses, that it would be something, God, that would, you would just speak to us in a new way, that you'd give us something, a picture of yourself, a picture of your gospel, a picture of your design for our lives that would help us on Monday and Tuesday in the spheres that you've given us. It's in your great name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 
Serving God can kill your passion for God. Doing God's work can crush your work, your walk with God. You know, we're no longer surprised when we hear of some well-known pastor or Christian leader that falls out, that burns out, or is kicked out. Men and women of exceptional talent, of incredible influence, of great impact, that make headlines filling campuses and drawing crowds, who allow secrets or success or shame or something to undermine their public ministry and their private lives. And if we're honest, we're saddened by this, but we're not very surprised. But fortunately, that's something that none of us have to worry about, right? None of us have to worry about that fear. This is just a group of carefree people who don't have a worry in the world here this morning. Other people, they should go to a conference, but us, we're okay. You know, when we say that type of thing, we realize how ridiculous it really is. We would never say that out loud, but sometimes we live that way, that we live our lives running along a cliff, clinging on day by day, hoping that we'll survive. And no matter your context, here's the scary thing, and this is something I've learned in my life, that you can make significant waves and make a mark and have do things that people will celebrate without truly being led by God. Even in the context of the church, we can do that. You can do things that people will celebrate, that they'll imitate without a healthy soul. Things that impress, but not things that last. So the question today is, this, this theme that we have is so perfect for this message today, because this idea of legacy. What does it mean to run with endurance the race that God has set before us? What does it mean to live a life in the long haul that's going to have our souls be healthy as we live in response to who God is and what he has done for us? So many of us live our lives just chasing this unicorn called balance. If I only had balance. And we're not going to talk about balance today. We're going to talk about something better than that. The, the passage that was read this morning is our key text in Exodus 18. And this is an easy-to-miss moment in the life of Moses. Because there's so many highlights in Moses' life, from the Nile rescue to the Red Sea to all these different things, the manna from heaven, all these highlight reels. And what we're going to talk about today is something that probably wouldn't have even made the Instagram story of Moses' life. This is sort of an obscure passage. I don't remember a flanograph situation going on in Sunday school in my life with this passage. Um, but it is a very insightful. And, and here's, here's one of the things that's just important about Moses' life. Even though there's all these high points and all these realities, if you really added up his life, most of Moses' life was lived in wilderness. It was not all mountaintops. He had plenty of mountaintops. He had some amazing mountaintops in his life. But whether it was Midian or whether it was wandering with the people through the, the desert, most of his life was in the mundane wilderness. Sound like your life sometimes? I know it feels like mine at time, from time to time. And this story in most, Exodus 18, just to give some context, right before it, you have the miraculous defeat of Amalek. The story where um, Moses' arms are raised in battle and God gives them victory when his arms are raised and, and they come around him and they, they lift his arms and there's an incredible story of victory. That one would make it the movie. And then it's just before the holy mountain Sinai moment where the Ten Commandments are given. But tucked in here is this story. And we know Moses by this point. Moses is this reluctant leader. That is, would describe him probably better than any other word, reluctant. He is not the guy volunteering right away. He is at every turn slow. He's far from perfect. 
But you don't lead a nation through the desert, a nation of grumbling people, without learning a few things about leadership along the way. And so as was read, you have Jethro, his father-in-law. He hears about the remarkable things that God has done. He comes to visit Moses. They meet, and what do they do? He recounts this miraculous story of all that God has done, God's faithfulness to these people. Moses was a great leader. He was the most qualified, the most experienced. He was desired. If you had a dispute, the person that you wanted to hear that dispute was Moses. If you had a problem, bring it to Moses. He had direct access to God in a way that not even the priests of the nations possessed. And he was a very effective judge. Disputes needed resolution. Who was better than Moses? And this is the first thing I want to point out to us this morning from the text. And this is an application for all of us. That you and I, just like Moses, we easily confuse great need for God's calling. We easily confuse great need for God's calling. Look again at Moses' response to Jethro's question. He says, why do you judge these people? He says, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. I mean, Moses is doing important, significant work here. It needed to be done. He even puts the real spiritual emphasis on it. I am making known the statutes of God. Who can argue with that? Who could dispute? Moses, you're doing the wrong thing when you're making known the statutes of God. That's a tough conversation. Here's the reality. You and I, we want to do things of significance. We want to be wanted. We're bent towards purpose. When someone asks us to do things, it feels good. And our culture reinforces this at every single turn. If you ask anyone in any culture in America, how are you doing? The knee jerk, drop the hammer on the knee reaction is I am so busy. I'm busy. Why is that? Because we equate busy schedules with significance. We equate our identity, we tether it to our activity. And we believe that the abundance of our activity, the fullness of our calendar, validates our significance. And when you combine that reality of our culture with a world that is just full of brokenness and dysfunction and need at every single turn, you can't walk down the street without seeing need. It is the most obvious snare for the enemy to throw at us. Somehow we think they will know we are Christians by our workload. We think if it's spiritual, then it must be what God wants us to do. But when Jesus says in the New Testament that they will see our good works and by them glorify our Father in heaven, he is talking about the nature of the work, not the number of the work. James mentioned my wife Bethany is here this morning and a few years ago, in 2011, which is coming up on seven years ago now, uh, we were in a season, I was enrolled and I was traveling full-time with a guitar on my back all over the United States, leading worship at conferences and camps and all kinds of things. And it was at that point I had stepped out of a role at our church. I'd been doing student ministry for about three years. And really what had been happening, because our church was in transition, you guys can relate to that, um, was that I was getting pulled into a lot of other areas in the life of the church. And Bethany had really been holding down the fort in student ministry. 
And so when this transition came upon us, it was just a very natural thing, though there was a process, that the church took the upgrade and they said, we're going to hire Bethany to be the director of student ministries here. I, I used to joke at my church when I said they took the upgrade. Now they don't even laugh anymore. They're just like, we know it was an upgrade. And um, what you need to know about Bethany is that she is just one of the most tender-hearted, compassionate, mercy-driven people that you know. It just flows out of her. Our first, our only, I say first, our only daughter, her name is Mercy. And so we've even named our children after this reality that is in our home. And quickly, we all of a sudden, and you guys have maybe been through these kind of transitions in your home. It went from one of us, life was stable and normal to I'm gone and traveling and Bethany's enrolled full-time at, at, at church. And here's the thing too, is that when I compare myself to Bethany, I feel like I have no friends at all. Um, because her phone rings more than our 13-year-old son. It's just uh, incredible, the number of text messages that she gets. And it was a season where there was just speaking requests and teens in crisis and parents at their wit end, including us. And all those things were happening. And it was just overwhelming, just completely overwhelming. And Bethany would, I, we'd have these conversations and I would just look across the table at her and I'd say, Bethany, fold your cape. Fold your cape. Because it's so easy to want to be that person that everyone depends on, to be that Moses kind of leader where all the people come to you day after day and judge you. But here's the thing, in the grand story of redemption, we're not the hero. We're not Superman, we cannot save the world. Let me say it to you this way. This is so simplistic, but it's maybe the most important thing here this morning. The world already has a savior and it's not you. The world already has a savior and it's not you. That is so obvious, it's so basic, and yet it's something that, I don't know about you, but I trip up on that almost every single day as I try to serve the great God that we have. Whether it's the addiction to applause or appreciation, those things can become our Achilles. We need to be aware of letting everything that we could do distract us from the things that God actually wants us to do, that he has called us to do. Our father's business is not an excuse for endless busyness. The hard thing with this is that we can acknowledge it, but how do we apply this to our lives? How do we come into this and, and make those changes? And I'm not saying to you this morning, go and quit everything. I don't want an email from Pastor James after this that the whole worship team has resigned uh, because they're realigning their priorities. That's not what it is. God's call is not for us to go on an endless sabbatical and just to unplug from every call, everything that we have as commitments. But some of us know that we are under rocks that are too big for us to lift. And we need to hear the Spirit of God speaking to us today. We need to ask the question, not just what can I do, but what should I do? What is God calling me to do? And like Moses, we need wise counsel. We need to wear out our knees in prayer. We need to seek the heart of God. Whenever Beth and I would come to a big decision, we always said, Three things, wise counsel, warn knees and prayers, prayer and the word of God. That's how you can discern what God's calling is in your life. It's not an easy silver bullet. It's a process that God will reveal. But we need to remember that there's a difference between what God has called us to do and what might be right in front of us. The second big idea for us this morning, I want you to understand is this, that we need more than fans, followers, and friends. If you're in leadership in any capacity at all, 
you will have these people in your life. You will have fans. What are fans? Fans are people that admire your work from a distance. They see the outcomes that you produce, whether it's in your workplace or your ministry or your home or whatever context, school. They admire what you do. Followers, those are people that you lead. They're people that are walking in the same direction as you in life, that look to you for insight. And what are friends? Those are the people that have your cell phone number. They're the people that text you. They're the people that are in close proximity that have access to you. But if we're to be people of legacy, to be people who run with endurance, the race set before us, if we're to learn a lesson from Moses, then we need more than fans, than followers, than friends. What we need are faithful spiritual mothers and fathers. We need faithful spiritual mothers and fathers. These are people who have walked where you have not walked. These are people who spur you on, yes, encourage you, but also like Jethro, who are the people that say, wait a second, what is it that you're doing? Who question you? And even in the world that I get to live in of the church, you know, there's such a push right now and there's a good part of it, but there's a dangerous part of it, about building platforms, about having a leveraging your influence as far as you can take it. And sometimes I think that we as a church and as individuals in the church and as followers of Jesus, that we need to come back to a more rabbinical rhythm of just walking in the dust of others who have gone before us. We've become too concerned with the reputation because fans and followers can recognize our competency, but they cannot confirm or challenge our character. You know, a lot of my context is speaking, like I said, to church leaders. And I was doing this talk for a group of worship leaders. And I love the world of worship. And it, it's a challenging one sometimes in the church because people have all kinds of opinions. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but they have different ideas of what it should look like. And um, there's a lot of good new, new things happening in the world of worship that are anchored in rich truth. And then there's a lot of hard things to kind of grapple with. Like, is it all good? Is this the way we want to go? And, and I, I said to them this way, and I, kinda, I just think it, it's a good way to remember that is, it, this is for the worship leaders here today. But we need a, a, a worship culture in our churches that has fewer hipsters and a few more hip replacements. That is just a reality for us. You can process that today. <laughs> But this is Jethro's example. This is his example. I love this. He observes. That's the first thing he does, right? He doesn't come in and prescribe a new path for Moses. He comes in, the first thing he says, well, let me see what you're doing. So he observes it. And then he asks questions. It says in the scripture, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? Haven't you ever noticed that great leaders ask insightful questions? And you need people in your life. I need people in my life who question us. The people who do questionable things are the people who cannot be questioned. You'll hear people say, well, that person is so teachable. That's a great value, right? Being teachable. It's an important thing for us to foster in our life. Being teachable is a sign of maturity at every point on the discipleship journey. Whether you're here today and you're far from God and you know you're spiritually disconnected and you're just exploring what faith is or you've been following Jesus for 100 years and, you know, you remember when this church was built or whatever it is, 
no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, being teachable is an important reality for you to have in your life. But here's the question, how do you know if you're teachable? Because some of us love learning. We love the world of academia. We love the world of, of attaining knowledge and ideas. But there's a very big distinction between being a learner, which is very important, and being teachable. And the difference is this simple thing. Who is teaching you? Because when you are a teachable person, there's always a who behind the learning. To be a teachable person, you need to have a Jephro, a spiritual mother and father in your life. And what does Jethro say? Jethro says this, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice. When's the last time that we had someone say something to us that was that direct, that was that challenging, that was that specific? Proverbs tells us that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And if you follow Jesus long enough, sometimes God will give you the gift of a soul deep kick in the gut. That just will be a reality for you. And I speak this to you this morning, not as a theory, but as a reality of something that God has fostered and taught me. And I've had Moses moments and I've had Jethro moments. We all have our family history. Some of mine is that I grew up in a family where we just didn't talk about the hard stuff. We just avoided it. You know, we talked about the Red Sox or we talked about the weather. I don't know if I should say Red Sox in this city, but uh, we got one fan. That's good. But because of that and, and because of my own journey, I've, you know, speaking the hard things, those are things I carried into my marriage. Speaking the hard things, I would avoid the tough topics. I'd avoid the difficult conversation. But in the last few years, God has just done an incredible work in my heart and soul. And he's still working on me, believe me. There's a long way to go. But to foster and force me into that part of working out and developing that. I've sat with men of God, Jethro's in my life, like my pastor Derek, and I have poured out my soul and been challenged back and shed tears and celebrated, you know, the progress that God is working in as hard truth was spoken. You know, and Bethany, as a, as a patient, patient wife, you know, there was a season in my life when I was coming out of this, traveling 160 days a year with the band, had all this kind of stuff happening and it came to a hard stop, a very difficult season. The first time in my adult life where I didn't know what I was going to do next. That could be a hard place to be. And Bethany just challenged me. She said, you know what? This is one of those times where maybe you need to seek some help. And she set an example for me and, and walked me through it. And I used to think that only messed up people went to counselors. And then I realized I was right because we're all messed up. <laughs> and so I've had marriage counseling. I've had personal counseling, professional counseling, pastoral counseling. If there's another kind of counseling that I haven't had, let me know. I'll sign up for it today. And here's the thing about this. This isn't some sort of, you know, trying to sound heroic in any way. But, you know, we were, we were having dinner the other day with some friends of ours from New Hampshire. And um, they looked at us and they said, you know, sometimes when we struggle in our marriage, this is kind of the most backhanded compliment you get. But they said, when we struggle in our marriage, we think of you, Andy and Bethany, because we know that you guys are pretty messed up too and you really love Jesus. I'm like, thank you. I, I don't know if that's really a compliment. But, but I think that as, as people who who cling to Christ and know that we bring nothing to the cross, as people who say that our work is not our worth, that our past is not our future, as people who believe that this world is not our home, as people who believe that this life is not our end, 
that we spend so much time trying to just pretend like we have it all together and it doesn't serve the world around us. We should be developing in the likeness of Jesus every day, but we shouldn't be maintaining a fake reputation. And God wants to destroy that. It's not true. It's not the gospel. It's not the path of living healthy. It's not the way to leave a legacy. And some people in this room today, you are killing it on Sunday morning, serving somewhere, but your marriage is dying. And some of us have had relationships, things that are done to us or that we've done to others, that are wounds that are so deep, but we never talk about them and we never go there. And we have closets full of secrets or shame, or maybe it's the other. Maybe that your success and maybe your platform and those things, your status are overshadowing the cross. And I just wanna say to you, one, Jesus's arms are open for you today. And part of the path that God may have for you to get there, though we believe that this book has everything that we need, God has given us a community called the church. And he has given us spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives. And you need to ask yourself, if you're in one of those places today, who is my Jethro? I need more than fans. I need more than followers. I need more than even just friends. I need a spiritual mother or father in my life that will help me and walk through that. To take it one step deeper, in that season when I was kind of recalibrating my life and walking through this journey, I had this crossroad because I'm a very good entrepreneur in ministry. So I can get people to come to things and, and grow a crowd. And we had this little nonprofit that we'd started and it was growing and we had hundreds of people coming to our conferences and we had lots of people saying to us, you know what, you should just take this thing and, and it'll fly. You become the CEO of this ministry and do it and we'll support you and we'll give you money. And God just spoke to my heart and said, that's not the path I have for you. And what he instead had me do was go to my friend, Nate, to chase him down I literally had to chase him down. It took me like two months to get a meeting with him. And I said, Nate, I could do this on my own. You're about 10 years older than me. You've walked where I haven't walked. And I'm in a season of life right now where I need a Jethro. I need somebody as I go hard and fast after the calling of God in my life to be those guardrails, to be my Jethro, to call out my stuff and to be there for me. And God has rewarded that in ways beyond anything that I could have imagined. Yes, I could tell you about the ministry fruit. You know, I don't have to lick stamps anymore. I have a, there's a mailing company behind it, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of great stuff. But really what I would say to you today is that God has done an amazing work in my life and he has given me freedom. I love to run fast. I love to work hard. I think faith and sweat are where it's at. But I think that we all need Jethro's in our lives and God has grown me. I believe there's hope. I believe you can be spiritually healthy while doing great things for God, but that you can't do it alone. Look at what Jethro said one more time. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. One last word picture to leave you with this morning. I wanna show you a picture of a house. This is an early 1900s photo of a house that we purchased about three years ago. It was built by Edmund Rice. He was an early colonial settler. And in 1707, this was the house that he built. This is a house that's older than America. It's a, it was the brigade house where the settlers would hide from the Native Americans. And get this, this is a kind of interesting anecdote, that two of Edmund's sons were kidnapped by natives 
I like to tell my children that whenever they're misbehaving, just remind them. It's a classic New England colonial that's been added onto and changed, but it has some incredible antique charm to it. Charm is a good word for an old house. A lot of people were telling us to watch the movie The Money Pit when we first bought that. I was like, I don't understand that, but now we do. Um, and here's the thing that's interesting, though. The most solid part of the house, because it's like that, you know, when they added plumbing, they'd add another building, and then they would take another building from somewhere else, and they'd add it on there. So it's kind of this just janky, you can kind of see there. But the, old, the oldest part of the house, which is the part you see right there in the front, that's the most, and it's not level, but it's the most stable. It's the most stable part of the house. And if you're brave enough to head down into the basement, what you'll find there, if you're from the Northeast, it's not super surprising to you, but it is pretty amazing to look at which is this. It's known, what is known as a fieldstone basement. And there's up above, just beyond the reach of this photo, there's actually um, hand-hewn timbers that still have the bark on them. Uh, just an amazing thing. And sometimes, I'll, if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a hard day, I'll, I'll go down into the basement and I'll just, I'm feeling bad for myself. I'm feeling like I'm working too hard. I feel like life is hard or whatever it is. And I will just look at the amazing handiwork of this foundation. These are rocks that were gathered from the surrounding fields, hand set one by one, that together have held up this home for three centuries. It's humbling to think about this work because this is not a day where there was, you know, he didn't, Edmund didn't call up his buddy with a front end loader and say, come on over, we're gonna build a house, no. What he had to do was he had to go out into the fields, he had to find the stones, he had to drag them, maybe with a horse, I don't even know how he did it, but he had to do it and bring them together and build it. And there's a couple of stones, you can see that one at the bottom there, it's hard to get the scale of that, but that's about a four foot wide, just slab of rock. Now I don't know that much about constructions in the 1700s, but I can tell you one thing, Edmund Rice did not place that rock by himself. that thing was too heavy for him and he could not do it alone. If you wanna have a foundation, if you wanna build a legacy of something that will last, as followers of Jesus and those who claim him as king, no matter your role, your season, your age, your failure, your successes, I just wanna remind us of this today. How do we leave a legacy? How do we learn from Moses? Moses would go on, and there were more failures ahead for him, but there were some beautiful moments as well. But Moses had to learn this difference that Jethro taught him, which was first, what's the difference between great need and God's calling? And then this, how can I have more than fans, followers, and friends? How can I have faithful spiritual mothers and fathers who will walk with me in the journey? God's given us this beautiful church, these beautiful people to go on this journey with. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Moses. There's a, so much more. We could spend weeks upon weeks exploring the highlights and the lowlights and everything else. But God, I pray that you would help us this week to just take to heart some of these realities from your word that we need to instill into our lives. That we would, our heart would break as we'd see a broken world, but you would give us clarity on what we're called to do. And that you would put people in our lives, give us a teachable spirit, so that others could speak into where we should go and where we should not. We thank you for the goodness of the gospel. We thank you for yourself. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.